Welcome to another episode of Lessons Learned. I'm Buttons Padine for UK Sailmakers, and today I've got a special treat in store. I'm calling it Adam and Jenny's Excellent Adventure. Say hello to UK Sailmakers General Manager, Adam Laurie. Hey, Buttons. <laughs> Good to have you here with us today. What's special about Adam right now is that after 30 years as, as, at UK Sailmakers, he's about to retire. And with his wife, Jenny, they plan to sail from Long Island Sound in the Northeast of the United States through the Panama Canal to the South Pacific and back. Adam, this is a huge undertaking for the two of you. Tell us how you got started on this journey. Well, to start out with, I'm going to retire just a few months shy of 34 years of working at UK Sailmakers. Never thought I'd have a job that long. But I've been thinking about sailing around the world since I was 14, when I read Joshua Slocum and Robin Lee Graham and watched movies, and I've always wanted to do it. And I keep having to put off and put off doing it. But um, I did get a good taste for sailing across the oceans when I got hired by USA Today to cover the America's Cup in Australia in 1986 and 87. And they said, kid, because I was a kid back then, we don't have a job for a boating rider after the America's Cup's over. Knowing that, I took my sailing gear with me when I went to Australia. And after the Cup was over in January of, what was it, 1987, I went looking to find a boat to sail home on. And I got really lucky that I found a couple from San Francisco who were really good sailors. And they were all racing sailors gone cruising. And they picked me because I was a racing sailor because they didn't have roller furling and they didn't have, you know, electric winches or an autopilot and they sailed their boat and they were looking for people that could help them sail their boat, not just float around. And as a kid, you could, they could send you to the pointy end to change the sails. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Adam, take a second and give us the rundown of your offshore experience since coming back from Australia. Well, um, I've done boat deliveries from the Caribbean to New York. I have done eight Bermuda races. I have done three Caribbean 600s. I've done a Sydney Hobart, a Marblehead Halifax, three Chicago Max. Um, and in the summer of 2000, Jenny and I rejoined my friends, Jim and Diana Jesse on their boat, Nalu 4. And we sailed from northern Japan to Dutch Harbor in Alaska. It's quite a quite an accomplished list there. Um, okay, so going forward now to your your new excellent adventure, what is your plan in terms of timing, ports of call, that kind of stuff? Well, to to go back to quoting the Jesses, they had the best line, and that was, "Our plans are cast in jello." There's a lot of times you have to wait until the weather is right. So uh, we were originally planning on leaving a year ago in the fall, but the boat wasn't ready. And Jenny wanted to work a little longer before we retired. So uh, we're going, Jenny retires in June, I retire in April. And so the plan is to uh, go race with our friend Rich DeMullen at Block Island Race Week. We'll bring the boat up to Block Island. And after race week, we'll sail to Maine and Canada and make that our shakedown sail. And then as the fall comes, we'll work our way back to New York. 
And I plan to go to my last UK SailMakers managers meeting, which will be in New York. And then right after that, we'll set out south because that's when the insurance company will let us head south of Norfolk. We can't sail south of Norfolk until after November 15th because that's when they consider hurricane season ending. And that's when we'll decide whether we are going to go to the Caribbean or not or whether we're just going to book it right to the Panama Canal. But we hope to be out of the Panama Canal by the end of January of 2024 so that we can get to the Marquesas, which is 3,000 miles away, before the big knot of boats that will be following us. Most people uh, wait until cyclone season ends April 1st before they take off. But uh, some of the reading I've been doing indicates that the Marquesas are north of the hurricane or the cyclone zone. So if you get an early jump, you can uh, find a lot more secluded harbors without a lot of neighbors. Well, that's great. And, and it's interesting because I'm looking at you over your left shoulder, the pictures of your, your two boats, each named uh, soulmates. As I'm looking at you now, the one on the left was the Express 37 that you raced for. Actually. But then if you look at the, the white spinnaker with the red stripe, that's the uh, the current. The current boat. The boat we're going to drive to the South Pacific. Let's go back to the start of your dream. I know for a long time, your first soulmate that you raced was an Express 37, and you sailed under the burgees of both Huguenot Yacht Club and the Storm Trisa Club. But that's not the boat you're looking to sail to the South Pacific. Tell us about how you decided to buy the current soulmates. Well, we've been sailing the Express for 17 years, and we've been we raced it really hard, and we had a really good time. We made a lot of good friends sailing on that boat. And we we were uh, a little bit of a different boat. Uh, there were times that 50% of our crew were women. And that was so that Jenny would have a good time with friends. And we showed that we could do well no matter what the makeup of our crew was. We had some really good core people and um, and that made all the difference. But I realized every time I looked at trying to reconfigure the interior of the boat, that there was no way it was going to have the storage space that we needed to go sailing across the ocean. So um, one day I saw a boat that was for sale um, that had sailed around the world. It was built in New Zealand. It was a custom boat. It was out in San Francisco. And before I could get out there to, to take a look at it, it got sold. And at that point, something inside my brain snapped and the Express 37 was not the boat for me anymore. And I was actively looking for a new boat. Um, and this boat uh, came along uh, by chance. I found it on a, a website I'd never been to before. Um, and But it had been sitting for a while. It was uh, designed by Roger Martin, built by the custom boat builder, Eric Gertz, as his own personal boat. And I'd always known that I needed to, to find a custom boat because figuring that it was going to be better built than a production boat and it would be strong enough that I wouldn't have to worry. And to buy a boat builder's boat, I knew doubly as well that it was going to be very strong. And there was no way that the boat builder was ever going to take any shortcuts on his own personal boat. And that's proven the case. The boat is really strong. It's really light and it's really fast. And it's a joy to sail. Um, it's interesting because I've sailed on on soulmates with you, and the the cockpit, the original cockpit, was really 
configured for shorthanded sailing, basically double-handed sailing. And for a decade or so, you've been racing it with a fully crewed uh, uh, afterguard there. So it was, it was a little crowded at times, but when you and Jenna get, get off, it'll be a little bit better. Um, but but that's not the same boat as she is now. No, we've, we've, we've done some modifications to make the boat more livable and to make it a little uh, more comfortable. Uh, one of the things that um, I learned is that the cockpit of your boat when you're cruising is your living room and you need to have a comfortable living room. So um, the boat to make it easier for racing had very, very low cockpit combings. They were only five inches tall. Um, and you it was not really comfortable to sit on because they're pretty narrow. So we went back to Roger Martin, the boat's designer, and asked him about designing much taller cockpit combings. And it was one of the last things Roger did because he passed away before the um, we had actually built them. And Ross Ween, his uh, assistant, and the designer working with him finished the job for us. Um, and now we have 13 inch tall cockpit combings and the winches are inset into the combings so that they're a little bit lower and not up so high. And they're much more comfortable to sit on and they're much more comfortable to lean back and sit, sit um, with them giving you back support. Also, they'll keep the waves out of the cockpit better. Well, that's important. But wasn't the, the boat originally uh, equipped with ballast tanks? Yeah, the boat was, um, when Eric design, had the boat designed, he designed it to be a double-handed ocean racing boat and a fast cruising boat. So it has a full interior that's very light, but it also had water ballast so that it could uh, give you the effect of having full crew on the rail. You could put 2,000 pounds of water on each side of the boat in uh, two tanks on each side. When I got the boat, I realized that the rating hit was going to be huge for that. <clears throat> so uh, before we even took possession of the boat, we had the holes in the hull fiberglassed over, and we removed all the plumbing from the uh, for moving the water from tank to tank. And since then, we have cut into the ballast tanks to turn them into storage ca uh, cabinets and lockers. And uh, there were drawers that were in front of them that were really shallow drawers that now are much deeper drawers and can hold more things. And imagine uh, there are just a myriad of other changes that you've made. I've, I've seen some of them. You've talked about, you know, lowering the profile of the winches on the deck. You also put a windlass on the bow. Uh, what else have you done sort of to put the boat in full cruising mode? The, uh, the list is pretty endless. Uh, we had to, since the boat has a plumb bow, we had to put a sprit for the anchor roller on the front of the bow so that we could pull the anchor up without the anchor damaging the boat. And then we put the windlass in. We put a crash bulkhead in the bow um, at the uh, foot of the, um, the forward uh, V-berth. Uh, there used to be a ring frame there, but we filled that all in and then put a opening hatch there. We, uh, we did um, install finally a solid vang on the boat to save weight. The, uh, the boat had a block and tackle vang and um, twice the boom has come and uh, found my noggin um, when it wasn't supposed to. So now we, we got rid of that and we have a solid vang for safety reasons. One of the things that the boat has that we will be a unicorn in any harbor that we go to with cruising boats is the boat has a very, very tall four spreader carbon rig that's uh, fractionally rigged and it's held up with running backstays.
One of the things that uh, Rich Damoulin, a good friend of ours and somebody I've raced against and raced with for decades, suggested was moving the running backstays um, anchor point to the transom so that we could then tack and jive with a single reef in the main under the runner. And with this, um, with shorthanded uh, cruising, there'll be a lot of times where we, we will be sailing with the first reef in the main because the main is huge. That's that's a beautiful idea. Yep. So, um, and that was a big change. We had to put new carbon fiber chain plates inside the transom to attach, take the load of the rig. What about what about electricity? Um, we had to upgrade the boat's electrical system, and we went with uh, new batteries and solar panels on an arch to charge the batteries. We've also added a 2000 watt inverter so that we can run 110 appliances, including charging our laptops and all the other uh, things that we use that take 110 volt. And um, we're also adding a, um, a water maker and a hot water heater. The uh, water maker is, um, is a really good one. It was, it's made by Electromax, which is a company I have a lot of respect for. And it will make 10 gallons using only 10 amps of electricity. Got it. Well, I've seen I've seen some of your conversion work firsthand and and take it from me. It's it's pretty impressive. Uh, but you've done a lot of work yourself, right? Yeah. Um it's as everybody knows, um buying the boat is the cheapest part. Keeping it up and running it is a, it gets expensive. And if you need to have other people do all the work on your boat, you're going to pay a premium. Also, by doing the work myself, I'll learn a lot more about the systems and how they work and where to look for problems when we when things aren't working. Uh, you told us that Roger Martin, the original designer, uh, reconfigured the, the design of the cockpit for you. Who did the actual work? Well, Roger just redid the cockpit combings. So we really didn't reconfigure the cockpit. The boat still steered with a tiller. And um, so that, you know, takes up a lot of room there. But we just made the, the combings taller and to give us, you know, a little bit more comfort. But we, uh, that was a big job. And so we brought the boat up to Scarano Boat Builders in Albany, New York. You wouldn't think of that as a, uh, as a yachting capital, and it's not. But Scarano's is a really innovative uh, company based in uh, Albany, New York, right on the Hudson River. It took a day and three quarters to get there. Um, but they uh, do have all the design capability to, to design boats. They can do woodwork, they can do fiberglass work, they have a CNC machine. So when um, Roger's design was done for the cockpit combings, uh, Ross Ween sent the uh, design file uh, to them and they plugged that into their CNC machine and they cut out mm. the design in a huge block of foam and that became the mold to make the cockpit coming. So they, they, they fit perfectly. That's great. And I can imagine you didn't do the electrical work yourself. Nope. Uh, Jeff Udell of Custom Offshore, who I've been racing against and racing with, for decades, was a good friend of mine, and he's been helping, and well, he's been doing the work. It's a, it's all a very impressive package as it's coming together. So you've got the boat almost ready to go, but I know you're not going to sail halfway around the world and back using your racing sails. 
Um, what will your offshore inventory look like? Well, uh, one of the things that you have to do when you go cruising is you can't bring a lot of sales because sales take up a lot of room. So we had to um, minimize our inventory. Um, so we'll carry one spinnaker. We'll carry one uh, small code zero. It'll be have a, a, about a 65% mid girth uh, that will fly from the sprit. It will have a Ubi Mayor furler on it so that we can roll it up. It will also have a, a UV cover on it so that we could leave it out there for a while. Um, and then I did get, I did do something uh, unique for this boat. Uh, the boat has a very, very narrow four triangle. And if we had a, a jib on a roller furler without battens, um, it would be too skinny for the top third of the sail when you hollowed the leech. So we decided we needed a sail with battens. And if we went with um, vertical battens, they were going to be eight feet long and that, that just make the sail unmanageable. So we had to have horizontal battens. If you have horizontal battens, you can't have roller furling. So we have a jib with hanks and horizontal battens so that we can have the maximum amount of roach to, to make the top of the sail as wide as we can. And one of our uh, things that uh, we did was put a horizontal reef in it so that we could then reduce sail area quickly um, as you can with Hanks. And then we also have a number four Genoa if we know we're going to have prolonged heavy air for a long time uh, that we can hang on as well. <laughs> Both the uh, the jibs uh, use a spectral laminate with uh, carbon load path tapes or X-drive sails. The main sail is going to be up all the time. It's going to have, it has three reefs and it has to be a beast to handle everything. So we went with Hydronet radial on that with full battens. Great. Um, I've got three final questions for you, Adam. The first one is, why only halfway around the globe? Well, um, my trip, the length of my trip depends on how long I can keep Jenny happy. <laughs> and um, Jenny has no want to go anywhere where there could be pirates. And so we will stay away from uh, the coast of Africa. We will stay away from um, um, the Strait of Malacca. And uh, so we'll sail around the, um, the South Pacific and hopefully spend three years sailing around the South Pacific. I've been to Southeast Asia and I've uh, sailed through the Strait of Malacca and I've sailed across the top of the Indian Ocean and I've been up the Red Sea. So we don't have to do that again. If we do get to the Med, it means coming back through the canal and going across the Atlantic and then going to the Med. But I have a feeling by the time I get to the Med, it's gonna be on an airplane and using uh, Eurail to get around. That's great. Um, you're gonna take Jenny with you and I know that she's got a lot of sailing miles uh, in her resume, but what is she looking for the most in this in this adventure i think she looks at it as adam's great adventure and she's gonna hang in as long as she can to support me on it i don't think it's her great goal um she is uh going out to sail with uh paul exner who runs the uh, modern geographic sailing academy out in hawaii to brush up her offshore skills so she'll spend a week out there doing that and we'll have the um 
our shakedown crews um, in going up to Maine and Canada to help her get her sea legs. And the other person that's going to help get his sea legs is our cat, Max, who's going to come with us. So uh, you're taking your cat on the boat for multiple years. Yes, we are. Max is a <laughs> member of the family. Also, uh, Jenny doesn't want a double hand. So we'll always be taking um, friends with us um, and, and making sure that we for the, the long passages, we get people to come with us. And we've got a lot of people who are interested in doing that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, well, finally, Adam, what are the three things that you would recommend to anybody looking to begin an extended offshore adventure such as this one? One of the things is to um, to find a boat that you feel comfortable in, that you know that can take more than you can handle. Um, and um, and that that's why I, I look for something strong and because I know I'm going to push the boat pretty hard because I like to go fast. Um, but people sail around the world on all kinds of boats. There's a lot of Benetos and Genos and Hansas and Catalinas out there crossing oceans. And those people, you know, don't push it as hard. And um, and that's fine. That's how they do that's how they do it. That's how they're comfortable with. That's that's fine. My key thing that I tell people and people tell me is just get out there and do it before you get too old. And that's my biggest fear is that I'm doing all this work on the boat and something's going to happen health wise that's not going to allow me to do it. And so therefore, we really want to get going and do it. And my last thing is don't single hand because you need somebody who can you can point to that sunset or point to the, the dolphin swimming and say, look at that. And that's really hard to do when you're by yourself. And then, you know, when having somebody else out there helps you interpret what you see, helps you speak to the locals, because you have twice as many people to try to relate to the people you're meeting. Well, that's great. Um, Adam, thanks for sharing all of this with Lessons Learned. And anybody who wants to know more about Adam and Jenny's excellent adventure can email Adam at adam at ukseilmakers.com. And once they're underway, watch for regular updates on their passage at theukselmakers.com. So for lessons learned, this is Buttons Padine saying, sail with confidence. Mm -hmm.